0: to the Palace Cinemas podcast. We've now been reopened for close to one month around most of the country. Sadly, we are only open one week in Melbourne before having to close our doors again, but regardless, it was so uplifting to see so many of you back enjoying cinema together. And while I get to continue cinema watching in the currently open Sydney, I'm joined by some lockdown Melbournians, the Astor Theatre's General Manager, Dr. Zach Hepburn, and the General Manager of our beloved cinema como, Laura Toyster, to discuss our top picks from our opening month for you to catch on the big screen. Sorry, Melbourne. I should note that both Zach and Laura's picks are now on limited showings, so getting quick before it finishes its theatrical run or we go into a second lockdown. So obviously now Melbourne is sadly uh, closed for the time being, but, I mean, I wanted to talk to both of you about what it was like for that brief week we were open. I mean, Laura, let's start with um, Cinema Como. What was like like to reopen the doors?
1: Um, it was really exciting to be back after such a long time. And everyone was just so excited to come and watch a film. I think there were people that came in and had booked multiple films um, in that week.
2: I think that's that was the universal feeling, you know, like everyone was so excited to get back into the cinema. And whilst I think the current closure is you know very, very necessary, uh, you know, it, it did feel like we just sort of, you know, we just got off uh, from the starting gate and uh, kind of fell over before the uh, the first lap uh, was finished. But it did seem really promising and I think, uh, if anything, it showcased to me that people still want that cinematic experience and that was something particularly with the Asta because people still wanted to come and see retrospective cinema presented at the cinema. And I think, you know, we've all been watching retrospective cinema at home through, you know, Either our DVD, Blu-ray collections, or you know various sort of streaming algorithms, but being able to actually go into a cinema, watch the film, lights go down, you know, curtains open—I think that's very hard to replicate—and that's what people were really feeding off.
1: And I, I, think. Th- and I think for Como, because most of our customers are a bit older, they don't—they don't have as much access to those, you know, Netflix or Stan or anything. So coming to the cinema is their is their little outing, and they kind of really miss that sort of thing they did every week and it was kind of you know they haven't had that for so long and that's that was the excitement that they could come back into this space that they knew so well and watch and watch a film. Did you
0: did you find that a lot of people hadn't actually been watching as many films even though they had access to it say in lockdown I mean certainly for myself I was quite surprised by how many people were saying they hadn't watched a film in so many months but they were so excited to go and watch one now.
2: That's what you should say, Alex. A, a number of people did say that to me at the Aster. Um, you know, and again, I think maybe that's the kind of habitual routine which sort of Laura was touching on, you know, like going to a movie and going to a session is, is a routine for, for a lot of uh, viewers. You know, they had their weekly cinema visit or their you know their, their monthly cinema visit or, or however many times they go. But, yeah, trying to be able to replicate that elsewhere and maybe in your home setting, that kind sort of routine is shattered. So I think that's something that people are really excited about re-engaging with doing that sort of like habitual visit that they come. And there's, as I think we've spoken about in this podcast before too, I think there's a legitimacy uh, of content seeing it at the cinema it's not just the sort of like white noise on on a, on, a, on a streaming platform that you can kind of brush past in the queue uh, if you make a decision to go and see a film there's a legitimacy to that and I think that's what people were really actively engaged about um you know, revisiting
1: yeah we we um Como actually has like a film group that come in every Tuesday and they always watch a film in the morning and then they sit in the foyer and they talk about it and they yeah. came on that Tuesday before we closed and before it was announced that it was closing. And they were so excited to be there, but they're like, you know, it's going to close this week to me. And I was like, yes, probably. Yeah. But they, were, they still had come in as a group and it was really nice to see them as well.
0: Did you have a last-minute flurry of people, you know, after the...
1: Yeah, What's yeah, it? a lot of people trying to go, oh, this might be the last time I watch a movie for a while, come in on the last day, the last two days really, after it was announced because it happened just so quickly.
2: And when we obviously we'd sold out to our capacity uh, every session on the on that monthly calendar that we're doing, so July was completely kind of mapped out with um, uh, sold-out sessions. But, uh, yeah, we had a real uh, influx of calls over that 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 first weekend going, is there any tickets available? Can I get in? Is there any way see a film? So I think there was a real sort of awareness that whilst it's there now, it's probably going to be gone again quite soon. So I think there was a real sort of, I think... I think excitement in trying to get in and, and, and trying to fit a film into this very very brief period where, where cinemas were able to operate in, in Melbourne
0: on like more film focused stuff. What was the stuff you did get to see, and, and what did you like the most?
2: I got to see The King of Staten Island, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put my cards on the table. I'm gonna be upfront with with you both and with everyone listening. I don't really like John Abateau films. Oh, really? I'm just going to put it out there. I don't, I don't like it. And you know who I also don't really like? I don't really like Pete Davidson very much. So I uh, I went into this film <laughs> thinking, I don't know if I'm going to like this film, but I have to be truthful and say that I really loved it. Uh, it's I think the most polished piece of work that Apatow has made. Uh, even with the traditional uh, Apatow bloke factor, which yeah. is uh, what I refer to as his elongated run times, he does seem to be Incapable of making a film under two hours, but you know that's that's his uh, that's his vibe, and I'll, I'll I'll go along with it. But uh, you know, I actually felt that this film really kind of justified its running time in many ways, and it's a, a really simple story about a, a young man who's in a case of a arrested development since his father died when he was uh, much younger, and he's now reached his mid twenties and he's achieved very little, and he's still chasing his dream of being a tattoo artist, even though he's not a very good tattoo artist. Uh, but there's just this sort of, I think heartfelt nature to the film and I think that really is Pete Davidson's performance actually because it is uh, essentially an autobiographical film uh, you know uh, that mimics uh, a lot of occurrences of uh, happening in Davidson's life particularly the the death of his father but Davidson's father in real life was actually a first responder uh, in 9-11 and uh, he unfortunately died uh, in that tragic attack Uh, but there's a lot of interesting things going on in this film particularly uh, Davidson's relationship with his mother in the film, uh, who's played by Marissa Tomei, who I absolutely love, Uh, and also the relationship with uh, this other character uh, who comes along and uh, shows an interest in uh, Davidson's mum, and uh, he's uh, played by Bill Burr. And uh, I love Bill Burr. I think he's a a really interesting screen presence, and I love his comedy as well too. But here the relationship between Davidson's character, Scott, and, and Bill Burr's character that was a really incredible uh, dynamic in the film. And I think that works so well, but um, yeah, look, uh, again, if I can uh, convert a a staunch uh, Apatow disbeliever, and that was me, uh, (laughs) I think this film's got a lot going for it. Um, And it's also made me reevaluate Davidson in a way too. So yeah, I'm happy to be uh, uh, proven wrong. And uh, this time I was. I like your
1: tattoos. What are those numbers on your arm?
2: Oh, that's uh, the date my dad died. He was a fireman. Died in
0: a fire 17 years ago. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Don't be. It's fine. Knock, knock. Okay. Who's there? Not your dad. <laughs> I mean, of the films we're talking about, King of Staten Island is the, the one I haven't yet seen. It's one I'm quite keen to see, but like, did you like, like, funny people or Knocked Up?
2: I, I, I did, but I just, I never, I never really liked them. Like, yeah. I, I, I can say, like, in all those films, I've never gone back to watch... Judd Apatow, and I really like the documentary that he did for HBO, which looked at the career of uh, Gary Shanley.
0: Yeah, I that was really
2: really interesting, uh, and I also like uh, the series Girls too, which he was involved with in, in a producer capacity. Yeah. But um, yeah, just for, for whatever reason, the forty-year-old virgin, funny people. Uh, this is forty, I think he did as well with, with Paul yeah. Rudd. Uh, yeah. They've just never really clicked for me. But this one, this one really didn't. I think yeah, it's it's got a lot to say. It's got a lot to say about sort of. You know grief the different stages of grief, how you cope uh, with you know those dynamic shifts in your uh, in your family and and how you kind of tackle them and and grow from them so you know it, it showcased to me that you know you, you're never too young to find yourself and it's never too late to find yourself and I think there's a real uplifting element to the film, and i I found it quite quite captivating.
1: Don't worry, Mom. I know your daughter got smart and went to college and abandoned us but I'm still here I'm going to be here forever
0: Yeah.
2: So uh, the other really interesting thing is uh, this is a very small appearance by Steve Buscemi, who I absolutely adore, but he's playing a firefighter in the film and Buscemi was actually a firefighter before he was an actor. He was
0: a firefighter. He was a, a responder during 9-11, right? Yes, he yes, yeah. yeah so, oh, that's um,
2: interesting. Yeah, and um, I, look, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll watch him read the phone book, but uh, yeah. he's, he's really good in this film as well. How long is he in it for? I had no idea. He's not in it much, but he, he's uh, one of the uh, the firefighters. Uh, Bill Burr's character is also a firefighter, uh, and uh, he's part of his unit. So, uh, yeah, smaller role, but um, again, you know, any Steve is good Steve. Well, what about you, Laura?
1: So, are we talking about Shirley by uh, director Josephine Decker, and it stars Elizabeth Moss and Odessa Young? Um, and I just. I guess I liked, I loved I loved Elizabeth Moss in it. Um, I think she's fantastic. She, Everything she does is incredible, from, you know, Mad Men to... Well, she was really great in The Invisible Man. In The Invisible Man. Yeah,
2: most recently, yeah.
1: Um, Odessa Young is really great. She comes into the story as a young woman looking up to Shirley, who is this horror author. Shirley, what are you writing now? A little novella. I'm calling none of your goddamn business. <laughs>
0: Did you know much about the Shirley Jackson, the the author, ahead of it?
1: Uh, no, I actually didn't know anything at all. I I, okay. I literally went in so blind into watching this this film, and I and I and I feel like I learnt so much. And while it was auto, while it was biographical, it kind of melded a bit of fantasy into it, and it wasn't very, it wasn't your straightforward narrative. You know, these unusual relationships that don't that are kind of toxic but kind of work at the same time.
2: It kind of blends. Jackson's type of writing with the narrative you know often see that with with biopics uh you know you you see very much sort of straightforward biopics this this blends I think picking up what you were saying Laura about that sort of surrealism aesthetic it 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 blends Jackson's style with her own life story and I think that's a really interesting kind of dynamic that's being played with um in the form that you've you've absolutely
1: said it absolutely perfectly there that's that's exactly the the vibe you get from it, mm. and it's just I just think there's so much there's so much in it. Like I feel like I want to watch it again, almost because I feel like I miss things in it. Um, and just I just I just liked the relationship between the two f- main female characters, and I thought that was just a really interesting dynamic. And the males are kind of just in the background which I kind of like as well.
2: And, you know, uh, Michael Stolborg plays a, a, a very different sort of professor to that he plays in Call Me By Your Name. Oh. So, uh, you know, on, on the Stolborg scale, we're talking about the Moss scale, the Stolborg yeah. scale, he's a, he's, a, he's a little bit
0: more problematic in this film
2: than he is in, in Call Me By Your Name.
0: Yeah, like, but, like, you know, slightly more in control than he was in the, A Serious Man. He seems to get more. Oh, like, oh, look,
1: yeah,
0: that's, yeah. That's, that's, that's an actually interesting sort of uh, sub we could look
2: at. The, the the professor characters of Michael Stahlberg.
1: He's yeah, yeah he's, fant- he's fantastic in it, and like he just you just he's having a lot of fun in that character, and you can really see that when it, when you watch it.
2: What are you up to? That girl. What do you think?
0: Tried in a bit trashy, but uh, give it a go. Quite a few films that I wanted to talk about. I mean, I've seen some pretty great works from, like you know, White White Day. But then I saw Waves, and I thought Waves was incredible. And then I just recently, most recently, saw Baby Teeth, and Baby Teeth is like one of the best Australian films. I mean, it sounds stupid to say best Australian film I've seen this year. Like, how many have there been? Not. <laughs>
1: um,
0: but like last year, like around movie convention time, we got shown a bunch of stuff that was coming, you know, coming out in 2020, um, <laughs> and the amount of Australian films that were coming out this year. Was, I mean, it's still going to be incredible, but it was incredible. Like, And they were genuinely amazing, and Baby Teeth was one of them. Mm. I've seen it now, and I'm just like, man, that's going to be pretty hard to beat in terms of best Australian film, but it's certainly one of the best melodramas I've seen. Mm. The film I want to talk about is um, The Burnt Orange Heresy, just because I feel like it's not getting the acclaim it probably deserves. This was also a film kind of like Shirley where I'd seen the trailer, and I was a bit... I don't know, not concerned, but like I was like it It, it felt like quite hard to pull off that level of, of, of authenticity in terms of these characters talking about a fairly educated world and, you know, how to make them feel authentic and not just pretentious or, um, again, phony. And when you start watching the film almost immediately, it becomes very clear these are people that know what they're talking about and they feel incredibly real in the way they represent um, not only art, but they talk about art or at least higher, not higher culture, but um, things I don't necessarily have a very, not well versed on. But it, it, it does a pretty incredible job of breaking down that texture and making it seem appealing and interesting. And then it just very much turns into a kind of uh, brilliant neo-noir thriller. You're one of those. A, a liar. Yeah. You have Klaus Bang, who is I first saw in I think the Square. I think that's where most audiences would have seen him. And then he went on to do that Dracula Netflix series. But he's fantastic. You've got um, Australia's Elizabeth Debicki, who is, you know, pretty amazing in most things she does. Donald Sutherland is just like having time of his life in this role (laughs) and uh and then you got Mick Jagger and Mick Jagger in the trailer is just like you watch Mick Jagger in the trailer and you're like "Oh, I don't know about this and (laughs) if you see him in the film and you're like this is a genius he is brilliant if if you're gonna get someone to play
2: a sort of hedonistic uh Machiavellian art critic art uh, appreciator art dealer
0: then you better get
2: Mick Jagger yeah.
0: yeah, and uh, I think, he, I swear he's only in the movie for as long as he's in the trailer. Um, <laughs> like he, he, he's not in it that much, but like the, the context in which he comes across and the way he kind of surmises the whole driving of the plot, it's like the commercialization of art and the, um, uh, I guess, how the uh, upper class looks to leverage art into a, a commercial entity and what, Drives you know the horrible things that it drives people to do um, is yeah Mick Jagger kind of sums that all up in a very apt like sixty seconds and uh, well you know t- t- uh, you
2: know <laughs> Mick Mick hasn't got a lot of time for a lot of things you know? <laughs> Mick time runs very different to regular human time
0: but um, Donald Southern manages to pre- represent a somewhat. Um, withdrawn artists without seeing, like, a, a stereotype. Um, like, he seems quite genuine. And it's also, like, the, you know, this, like, um, perceived connotations of art I think I enjoyed most about the film. Like, the how, you know, we talk about this in cinema, you know, people's own projected story of it, um, what our narrative is of the art versus what the artist's narrative is. And the orange heresy almost makes fun of it in a way, but in a very kind of... Uh, a bit of black comedy, but it's got that kind of meta-narrative running through it the whole time, which is really enjoyable. I mean, I do think it falls down a little bit in the third act, but the very end scene, um, I've said this a few times on the podcast, it's like, you know, wow them in the end. It's that line of adaptation. Wow them in the end, you've got a hit. It's great. Like, it's it's punchy, it's 90 minutes, and um, it's, a, it's a really good time. And I, what I really liked about the film was, and I'm... And- this, this won't
2: sound like a compliment, but I mean it as a compliment. It feels like it is like a, a, a 90s thriller in a way. It's like yeah. it, it really recalled a, uh, something like Tony Scott's Revenge or, or something like um, even Nine and a Half Weeks. It's like it, there's a there's a there's a sort of a sort of sensual nature to the film as well. It's like a, an erotically charged thriller, and you know we don't we don't often get to see those sort of films nowadays. And this this feels like a film made for a very discerning. Audience, and it, it, it is a film I think that discerning audiences will really appreciate it. Um, also, you know, none of us can travel anywhere at the moment, and no. it, as as a, as a bit of an armchair travelogue, uh, the scenery around, I believe it or around Lake Como uh, is absolutely exquisite in the film as
0: well. The sad thing is, is this is the perfect cinema Como film.
1: It, it certainly, <laughs> it certainly is. I could just see so many of our audiences loving this film and, and talking about it. This, you know, it's it's beautiful to watch and you know, all the actors are incredible in it and it's just an interesting it's an interesting story and it's I'm really sad that we're missing out on some of these films that we've been talking about today because they're they're such cinema films and you have to kind of watch them in the cinema almost and um, we don't really know where we're going well, in Victoria, so. We'll, we'll get
2: there eventually. <laughs> hopefully but, hopefully uh, they
1: hold out and they do bring them back because I, I think some of the coma audience would really, really enjoy all these films that we've been talking about.
2: Yes, the cast is phenomenal in it too. I mean, you, you touched on everyone there, Alex, but really I think special mention to, to Donald Sutherland. I mean, he just recently celebrated his 85th birthday, I believe, uh, yeah. and he is just a force of nature. In the film, I mean, he is the second he comes on the screen, you can't take your eyes off him, and that I think just goes to show, uh, you know, he's I think Hollywood royalty in a way. You know, he's just got a screen magnetism uh, of those seasoned performers,
0: which you just can't take your eyes off. He just comes across so authentically, and uh, again, like that that legend status of like you know he's this whispered about figure Mm -hmm. and. Once you actually meet him, you're like, oh yeah, I can see why he's he's spoken about like the character is spoken about it this way. He's like completely charming and captivating and um, almost hypnotizing.
1: You uh, just want to see that that blue blue. <laughs> well, yeah, they, yeah. They, talk, they talk about this color through the beginning of the film and throughout it, and you kind of just. You kind of just want to see that blue. I, guess. I, <laughs> mean, that's, I think
2: again, that's 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 the, the sort of I think you know the authentic nature of his performance. I mean, you you believe that he is his character, and yeah, he, he's not just a caricature of the the sort of reclusive artist. Like you yeah. actually, you feel like he's walked in that in that world. And yeah. I think um, you know, even even though we joke about Mick Jagger, that
0: sort of aristocratic edge
2: that that is Jagger.
0: Yeah, agree. So you know, it's very 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 well cast. Yeah. yeah, I think you've spoken about this, Zach, previously, but the, the context the characters, the actors themselves carry into the film, mm. I think that that's what's been so well cast about Jagger and Sutherland is, like, the context they carried into the character as well and the way they were read on it. Um, it was brilliant. Um, and, again, 90 minutes, like...
2: Perfect time. Just jot oh. up, jut up, jut up a towel if you're listening. Take notes. Like, I like, I like <laughs> the most recent film, but take take notes. We've talked about two
0: 90-minute films. And that wraps it up for another episode. Join us next time as we continue to discuss more of what to see and look forward to at cinemas, hopefully with less restrictions. But in the meantime, take care of each other. And for our Victorian listeners, be safe. And we'll see you on the other side.